0: What's up, dirtbags? Welcome to this week's episode of the Midwest Angler Podcast. I'm Scott Sturman, and I'm joined by Matt Deitch. What's going on, dude? You know, just enjoying life. How about yourself? Ah, just living the dream. Living That's the, the freaking dream. Really do. I'm really starting to like uh, starting to like this weather. Even on the warm days now, you know, it's like ah, 81. Uh, I believe tonight it's going to get down like into the high
1: 40s overnight. Yeah, it's, getting, uh, it's getting kind of that chill, you know. I'm for that. Oh, so am I. I definitely waiting for am, that. Starting to kind of get my teacher coaching voice back. Kind of feeling a little tickle every once in a while in the throat, mm, but kind mm. of okay yelling at those kids all the time oh i thought that was because you switched brands of cigarettes (laughs) (laughs) not the burning in my lungs Uh, hell yeah (laughs) but uh
0: uh this week's episode is brought to you by our good buddies over at dakota angler in sioux falls south dakota uh stop in talk to todd talk to uh, uh josh talk to nick um talk to the rest of the guys on their uh help very helpful staff um they basically got everything you need uh, right there uh, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota.
1: Yeah, they definitely do. And you know, the one thing about it this time of year is you never know what kind of deal that you're going to get when you go in there. You know, maybe they're starting to mark a few of those open water things down and, yep. uh, you know, you want to stock up over the over the winter time. So now it's the time to get in there to get all that stuff. And I mean, we got a lot of good fall fishing left. So, yep. you know, stop in there and check that out. Yep, absolutely. And uh, if you don't stop in there, you want to check out what they got
0: online. Uh, www.dakotaangler.com and use code Dirtbag at checkout uh, and receive, uh, I believe it's ten percent
1: off. Um, here's 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 a here's a yeah you know get your dirt bag on with that stuff. And here's a question for you. All right, what of, you got? Out of, out of those three guys, who'd you rather spend a day in the boat with? Spend the day in the ice shack with? Or go get ice cream with. Ooh, okay. Um
0: I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go uh I'm gonna go get ice cream with Nick. I'm gonna spend a day in the ice shack with Josh and I'm gonna spend a day on the boat with Todd. Yeah. That, I, I think I Todd I think Todd's gonna have a lot of stories. Uh, You know, I I would just, I would really be curious to get him out in a boat and just talk bait shop business, you know, the business side of it. I, I always, I'm intrigued by anyone that wants to sit and talk business. Um, you know, I don't got to worry about a storm coming up because he's going to be reading those clouds and he's going to be like, hey, boys,
1: it's time to get off the water. <laughs> yeah.
0: I bet you that dude's never been stranded out on the like, lake
1: when bad water. Yeah. You know, we're going to tell about 1133. Then we probably better get off. <laughs> yeah. of the lake here. Just from us. the
0: way that cloud's looking over there. I'm going to let you know we got about 20 minutes or. Okay. Or I don't want to take shots at one of our sponsors, but maybe he's been stranded out there a lot. Cause those suckers are always wrong. Those weathermen. <laughs> yeah, We're good. We're good. Boom. <laughs> no, that's, that's a joke. But, uh, um, I don't know. I've been out fishing with, uh, with Nick and Josh before, and, uh, they were both a hell of a lot of fun, but, uh, um
1: I, I just i feel like nick's kind of an ice cream guy yeah and so i'd uh josh, josh can fire up a pretty mean hot dog broad out there on the oh ice. yeah we, we've yep, found that's that out right. so that's right but uh no that'd be that'd be my three yeah definitely you know like we said guys check out dakota angler if you can't go out there in person and see it jump online get that discount and you know get in on some good deals
0: yep and another thing that I, I really want to touch on is, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about how it's a mom and pop's bait shop and it is, I mean, you know, we, we've had Todd, the owner on here, we've had Nick, the manager on here, uh, or Josh, the man, God dang it. I'm always getting, I <laughs> just, I'm, I'm going to get them to real pissed off at me, but uh, we've had Josh on here and, uh, you know, we stress that it's a mom and pop's bait shop, you know, it's family owned deal, family business, but, uh, don't think that this is just, uh, you know, some small little shack on the side oh, of the no. road that, uh, you know, well, you know, you go in there and you get a dozen worms and, you know, get a couple bait holder, uh, you know, trocar hooks or whatever, you know, or eagle claw hooks. I mean, the the selection that the, that, that you're dealing with there is, is something that rivals, uh, you know, a, a Shields right. or a Cabela's or whatever. I mean, you know, I mean they 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 truly do have have a very wide selection they're very knowledgeable um you know so so don't uh when when we're when we're talking about a mom and pop's bait shop don't you you get what i'm saying right though, oh right? yeah definitely
1: do yep. yeah. i mean they got a lot of stuff and they got a lot of you know everything covered to uh, what you can think of and also a great thing about it too is you know follow them on all their social media because they stay up to date on all the latest bites and all what's going on you know as we get closer to ice season they give a lot of reports on what ice thickness is and everything like that so you know make sure you're liking and following their pages as well no doubt about that uh we got an episode
0: this week uh with our buddy scott mockington from the metro uh (laughs) big minneapolis mac uh is is coming on uh scott's fresh back from uh from an alaskan trip and i shouldn't say fresh back he's been back for about two weeks but uh um you know he he talk, he told me a lot about that Alaskan trip, and you know me and matt Matt and I for Pete's <laughs> sakes but uh we we were talking you know it's one of those deals that I think everybody kind of sees those pictures on on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and it's like,' dang it, I wish I was the guy holding out that fifty pound salmon, yeah. but you know it, it, it's intimidating it it's intimidating is. to to think about uh planning a trip like that. And uh, you know, after after Scott got back, it was like, you know what? That's a that's a oops rookie move. <laughs> Phone going oh, off. Wow. I don't even know if I've
1: ever had that happen bad, before. That first for everything over here, old rookie. Wow, oh, my bad. But uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it,
0: golly, I'm I'm just I'm thr- I'm thrown for a loop. It's tune texting me, freaking talking smack, probably saying, yeah. "Hey, you gonna call or what?" what? But yeah. uh, uh, no, it, it's one of those deals that, that can be intimidating, and so I, I really feel like uh, uh, with as much interest as Scott had told me he had gotten, um, me and Matt decided that uh, it was it was one of those deals that we should probably have Scott on, just kind of dive into it. If there's somebody out there that's thinking about planning one of those trips, uh, you know, if, if Scott can just shine light on something that, uh, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe answer a couple questions Little that info. you had. Yep. So uh, with that, we're going to buzz over to him. Hey, Scott, how we doing?
2: Doing really well tonight.
0: Doing really well. Uh, you're on your way back uh, from the Minnesota State Fair, is that correct?
2: Yep. Spent the day in the clam booth uh, showing everybody all the new products, and now I'm heading home. And for all that time that I made fun of Pig Love, Iowa, here I am heading home. I'm behind an Iowa license plate, which they are labeled by county, and it's a Scott County plate. And who knew they had such a great county to be named
0: scott county iowa it it it's All probably right. it's probably the second best county next to to lion county here <laughs> now now, yeah. now you know since since we're on the topic uh, we always do some random questions and and you're coming home from the fair
1: uh we've got a couple questions matt you want to fire first yeah i'll fire one out for you Um, if you could be work for the circus or the carnies, what would which one would you prefer?
2: Oh, I I gotta be a carny because, uh, my, my grandfather was on the fair board in the McLeod County, Minnesota fair. Uh, our family has brought livestock, uh, or exhibited in that County fair for probably 50, 60, some plus years continuously and uh when my i bring up my grandpa and his time on the fair board because he used to get uh all of us grandkids a free packet of tickets to all the rides uh when the carnies would come in and this was you know for people listening this was back in the early to mid 90s and you know they were they were rolling out you know nowadays i look at the 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 folks that show up for county and state fair and they have polo shirts and they have jackies and they're somewhat <laughs> clean cut and so, but back then it was smoking heaters and banging eighties hair metal and uh, <laughs> they may they may not
1: have assembled all the equipment properly so there was a legitimate danger when you were getting on the zipper or the kamikaze. I so uh, you roll the dice. <laughs> I, I think
2: I could have made a pretty good carny
1: I believe that. Uh, our, All right, the real question is how many half naked posters of women did you have Growing up from throwing the darts at them at the carnival.
2: Well, you know you you got to pick you got to pick your little you know your your cheap fifty cent prize that you spent twenty dollars to win. And uh, now I'd, I I knew I'd get in trouble with mom and dad if I did that. <laughs> and I was obsessed with uh, with the Chicago Bulls, so I think I had a whole lot of nineteen nineties Chicago Bulls uh, little glass frame pictures.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, what, what's your favorite fair food?
2: Uh, you know, I kind of go for a little bit of everything. Our family went out to the state fair last week. We do have a, an exchange student this year, uh, a German girl uh, who's a sophomore. She speaks ex- excellent English. And we're trying to give her the full uh, experience while she's here. So we had to take her to the Minnesota State Fair. Uh, it's pretty much the best in the in the country i know texas is right up there as well but you know to give her that experience you, you sample a little bit of all the fair foods it's like you know we do corn dogs perno pups you do cheese curds you do everything and anything on a stick my wife did hot dish deep fried on a stick we <laughs> nice. tried a bunch of stuff and i i kind of i like a little bit of everything i'll eat i'll eat all those foods and luckily i'm uh i'm Doing enough uh, physical exertion to try to burn some of all those calories off, but yeah, this this exchange student is getting the idea. You know, falling for the stereotype that all Americans eat a bunch of sugary, deep fried, fat food.
1: <laughs> well, and with good reason. <laughs> with right. <good> <laughs> yeah. How, how many buckets of those? What is it, Eileen's cookies? Do you think that Scott could house? Oh, sweet Martha. Our sweet That's Martha's. Yeah, that is yep. the sweet Martha cookies. Well. Jordan Dahl in the clam boot booth, he brought
2: one back that uh, he was supposed to bring home to his girlfriend. And, uh, you know, he, he he needed to be able to get the lid on the bucket. They fill this thing so full that everything starts falling out. So uh, we started snacking on those. But, you know, I, I put a few away, but I bet you Scott... I bet you Scott could do a, a tub and a half of those things, especially if you had access to the all-you-can-drink milk from the Minnesota dairy. Association.
1: Mm, 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 mm. Mm. Do love me well, that, a cold glass of milk? That would be good because Scott's not putting out a lot of physical exertion like you are right now. So. <laughs> I do. To go along with that, though, I do have a question. I heard that you had a little bit of a wardrobe malfunction or something like that in your training recently.
2: That's right. That, that's right. So if you run distance, men, you know, here, here's the thing. For, for all the ladies out there, they get to put on this thing called a sports bra. And, yeah, they got they got very important uh, parts of the female anatomy that need that level of support. I, I, uh, I'm I not at that same level as, as, as women. I'm not that bad, badly out of shape. But what you end up running into as a distance runner is your shirt when you run – long distances over, say, I don't know, seven, eight, nine miles, your shirt is making all these small little movements, and they're rubbing and rubbing and rubbing. Well, I decided this genius, he's going to throw some duct tape on there (laughs) and cover those bad boys up. Well, after about four miles, I sweat those things right off.
0: And I was right back to rubbing again, so <laughs> back to the drawing board. Back to the drawing board. Well, I guess you wow. know what they
1: say, rubbing's racing, so. <laughs> Try a wife beater. <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing, I do have the wife beater on, it's still beating me up. Well, so. you can always put a sports bra on. Perfect Carney. wife <laughs> beater.
2: I guess.
0: Double up. All right, Scott. Uh, in the last couple episodes, me and Matt have kind of been doing a little this or that, and... Uh, so uh, we thought to uh, to kind of get this one flowing tonight, uh, we'd, we'd give you a couple of this or that questions. So I want to know, uh, what do you prefer, early ice or late
2: ice? All right, first I got to put a shout out for Joe Bowers, who would tell you it's Matt and I. Uh, early ice or late <laughs> ice, uh, I'm a cow league. You know, if I had to pick between the two, I have some pretty darn good memories on late ice and early ice. It's really a toss-up, but I'm going to throw out late ice because I just some of those memories from back in the day were just so phenomenally good and the weather was always so nice like you think about you're setting up ice in the early season it's it's usually getting pretty cold but by late ice it's so warm Uh, it's you not only is the fish bite pretty good but you can sit out there in a long sleeve t-shirt sometimes a short sleeve t-shirt
1: yep yeah for sure now I guess mine's gonna be. Would you prefer a canoe in trip or a fly in trip?
2: Well, um, I think a fly in trip because typically those are you know associated with Canada and you get into some pretty uh, untouched waters. As much as I enjoy my, my canoe trips, there still are a certain number of visitors that get to those locations, and the more pristine the water is, the fewer visitors that are out there. Typically speaking, the more intact the habitat is, the better the fishing
0: opportunities, and the less competition you have. So I'd have to go fly in. Yep, right on. All right, uh, let's get back to food. Hot dogs or hamburgers?
2: I'm a hamburger guy.
0: Okay, what are you going to put on that burger?
2: You know, I like so I like a good cheeseburger. I will if I'm making the burger, I'll, I'll mix in some onions and garlic, some Worcestershire sauce, I will uh, I'll put lettuce, tomato, I will put uh, a little mayo
1: and a little ketchup on my burger. Alright. There you go. Alright, the next one up uh, do you prefer rivers slash streams or lakes to fish in? Alright,
2: I forgot you gotta throw some bacon on that burger but there's a million ways to do them, right? Right. Uh,
1: You're heading to (laughs) Fuddruckers. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one because I really sort of split my season amongst all those places. I, you know, you forced me into decision, and you guys have known that I'm kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. Enjoy a little bit of everything, but uh, boy, there's probably there's we're in the, we're in Minnesota. It's the land of ten thousand lakes, and I've I've talked about. Moving the, you know, my wife and I have had these crazy thoughts about what if you picked up and you moved somewhere else and, and lived somewhere else. Like, golly, I would miss the lakes so much because I have a familiarity with them. And Minnesotans kind of get hardwired into being able to be good anglers on natural lakes. And they they don't always pay as much attention to rivers or reservoirs. So I'd, I'd kind of be forsaking my my home state if I didn't say lakes. Right on. Yeah.
0: You about got uh, <laughs> you about got thrown right out of a couple wills and, and probably not invited to Christmas if you would have gone streams <laughs> all right uh, last but not least uh, we kind of we're gonna kind of throw a curveball at you and uh, we want to know uh, if we we're gonna give you three names and uh, you got to pick who you'd rather be stranded on an island with receive mouth to mouth from or uh, have as your boss, Matt. Uh,
1: throw throw the three names out. um The first one is Craig Oiler. Second one is Mr. Don Cox, and the last one is Mr. Scott Brower.
2: Oh my gosh! <laughs> 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 yeah, nice, nice, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes.
1: Um. Oh boy. All right. So I got a. I have to have mouth-to-mouth resuscitation
0: that saves my life from one of them. Yep. I've, got, I've got to, one has to be my boss, and what was the other one? you got to be stranded on an island with.
2: Okay, all right. Um, I'm going to take my mouth-to-mouth resuscitation uh, that's going to save my life from Mr. Scott Power because he's a teacher, he's well-trained in CPR and first aid. And he cares about his students quite a bit and the people that he's friends with. He's just a great
0: guy, so if I have to take it from somebody, it's going to be him. You don't think he'll uh, slip in the tongue is what you're saying.
2: <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think he'll slip me the tongue. Uh, let's see. I and mean, be my boss. And one more time, what was it?
0: Stranded on an island.
2: Stranded on an island or be my boss between Don and an oiler. Uh, okay. Let's see. I'll have... Well, Don Cox kind of is my boss already. I mean, he's my he's my dad and my surrogate dad, so he's kind of he's kind of the boss. I mean, what he says goes, and he's got some good stories. I think he'd be a good boss. He'd be a fair boss. but He'd be a good boss. <laughs> All right. And then stranded on an island, probably Oiler because he just he'd be fun to fish with, and he does enough dumb stuff that you know we you like a buddy that's fun to fish with, tell stories, and do dumb stuff with,
0: and that's. That's Euler XL. And he's got experience cutting firewood. <laughs>
2: oh, great point. Never thought of that. Yeah. I did. I did. I expected more out of you, Scott.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, all righty. Uh, let, let's move along here. Uh, Scott, uh when I when I was up there uh, last week, uh, hanging out in New Prague with you, uh, you were fresh back from an Alaskan fishing trip, and you kind of expressed to me that uh, you've had a lot of people reach out to you uh, since wh- while you were up there. Since you've gotten back, uh, you know, kind of talking to you about how you went about planning for an Alaskan trip, and you know, this is one of those trips that you don't just throw together a couple weeks prior. Uh, you know, I mean, this is, you know, in some cases year years you know plural years uh long uh planning and whatnot and uh you know i think just it it was really crazy over the last couple weeks uh how many people i've just had on my personal facebook page that were up there in alaska fishing but uh i also feel like it's kind of one of those deals that can be very intimidating to a person that uh, perhaps wants to do it maybe uh um, you know, obviously the, the first thing that would come to mind as well, I got to hire a guide, but, uh, that's not always the case. So, uh, Matt and I had talked and we had decided it would be great to get you on, uh, and just kind of, kind of go over, uh, what all went into your planning. We know that you're one of those people that, uh, uh, takes a lot of time, does a lot of planning, uh, gets things right before you go. So, uh, first and foremost, uh, Um, how, how long do you think a person really needs to plan on something like this?
2: Uh, you know, I I just think it's something that, you know, for, for some folks, depending on their, their level of planning and, and how much control they want to have over the situation and and kind of getting ahead of things that, you know, you could, you you might want to take a year or more than a year to do it, uh, you know, just to get ahead of things. And then for some folks, if you're just going to book it out and kind of go with the flow and whatever happens happens, you know, and that's your personality type, you might be able to do that a couple months in advance. But uh, generally speaking, yeah, you, you really can't. Uh, you really can't last minute a, a trip of that order. At least, you know, again, the, the listeners to this podcast are, are usually hardcore, avid anglers that want to make this trip at some point in their life, and you know, they they will want to plan ahead. So. Yep. Uh that's kind of the range that, that, that it
1: comes across for, for planning. All right. So then uh, to go along with that, what, what would you suggest the best time of year to do this would be?
2: So timing is so critical on all of this, right? Uh, the major couple of draws, so I, I remember talking to my wife about wanting to go out to Alaska. And, you know, I remember very simplistically saying that a situation where I'd want to go to Alaska three times I'd want to go once on a fishing trip, once on a hunting trip and once uh, you know, on a sightseeing trip and now I've kind of reset the deck of like yeah I still want to do all those things but I also want to do the fishing trip again it was so good so <laughs> right. it's, it's and so I bring up the fishing side to say that uh, typically, people think about Alaska, and they associate it with, it, with Pacific Salmonids. Uh, there are five Pacific salmon species uh, in, uh, in Alaska. Three of those are usually pretty uh, important or, or, or highly sought species, and uh, they they're, they're popular with anglers, but their timing is variable. Their timing is... Uh, is at different times, so those five species are chum salmon and pink salmon, which aren't super, uh, super duper popular, you know, they're, they're usually not, uh, a lot of anglers don't target them, you can catch them, um, and then the other three species are coho or silver salmon, chinook salmon, and, uh, Sockeye salmon. So those are the three species that people are typically targeting, and they are all uh, different timings on the run. Uh, and sometimes you'll get multiple runs of those. Like where we fished on the Comper River, it was a tributary of the Clutina. uh those, those fish have two runs of kings. There's a June run, and then there's a July into August run. And the cohos are usually one of the later running fish, kind of early to mid-August. Uh, The sockeyes are typically similar, but a little bit earlier than the silvers or cohos. And then the pinks are on a little wider, uh, wider scale, a little more variable. Uh, Chums are kind of, kind of July. So you kind of see, and and it depends where you are too. Like I'm really oversimplifying it a little bit. It depends where you are. Like Alaska is a huge state. If you overlay Alaska across the lower 48, you know, it's, Twelve or thirteen states worth of landmass, so it's such a huge area. And you, you look at those runs of rivers uh, from north to south. It's it's just so highly variable, and the, the timing is all uh, is all different. It's it's photo period and and trying to get those those salmon to kind of run up their their natal uh, rivers. And remember, this is an this is an organism that uh, <laughs> spawns once and dies. So uh, this is their Life's mission is make that run spawn, and you know they're returning those those nutrients back to the streams. But the salmon run is the big key for a lot of folks that they want to experience that. And then the other the other draw, typically in the summer months, is to get out and chase halibut and rockfish, and you know all the all that uh, all, all of the you know ocean and 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 various bays and inlets and whatnot. You know all of that is excellent habitat for or uh, halibut and rockfish. It's some of the most productive marine environments in the world. Even though you're at a higher northern latitude, it's just so incredibly nutrient-rich and productive. So I know I've said a lot there, but basically that's that's what folks are trying to time, and that's where you have to make a decision. You have to look at the area that you're going to visit. Are you going to go to an area that's on the Alaskan uh, highway system? Are you going to go somewhere that you need to fly into on a second plane? uh you know that's out in the wilderness are you gonna hire a guide or not and then what is the timing in that respective area that you plan to fish for the salmon runs
0: yeah absolutely now i mean for for somebody uh i I believe that you went up there uh with a couple of guys who who had done it before had had experienced alaska a little bit um for 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 a person that doesn't have a, as much experience up in Alaska I mean would you go ahead and and recommend a guide or or is this something that somebody can can tackle without a guide you know I'm just thinking in my head you know Alaska's not like driving to northern Minnesota and like well ah, yeah we'll find a lake and and we'll let her buck uh you know Alaska's a whole different animal well and that's that's just it so I've had that conversation with a
2: few folks about you're going to spend the money, and again, I, I think a lot of folks, the advertising campaign for the state of Alaska, you know, 15, 20 years ago was Alaska before you die. Like, literally go Google it. That was one of their advertising slogans <laughs> that they used, because there was a lot of people that, like, this was a
0: once-in-a-lifetime trip for them, a bucket list trip. Oh, and I, I was thinking it was the grizzly bears. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on up. It, it was. It's It's definitely, you know, I place it in that
2: category. And like you just heard me say, I, I hope it's not my last trip. I hope I'm able to return. I was talking to an outdoor writer, a friend of mine on the East Coast, that he said the last time he was there was 20 years ago. And the, my trip reminded him that he needs to get back there. But, you know, the point being, you're going to spend all that money to travel. The airfare alone is going to cost you a chunk of change to get all the way out there. It's not the right time to start you know, pinching pennies or or going cheap. Again, like you kind of hit on Scott, uh, for a lot of folks in the Midwest, it's going to be very different from what you're used to. The one commonality I would say is if you are a Great Lakes angler, if you are specifically, if you are a Great Lakes steelheader, you may have the requisite skill set for fishing salmon because some of these species are, it's, it's all stream fishing, it's all river fishing, Uh, and for a couple of these species, they're not biting the hook. Remember, they're making a spawning run. They're focused on the spawn, getting to their spawning grounds. Sockeye salmon are not biting whatever you're putting in front of them. You're actually flossing these fish and in effect, snagging them in the mouth, like highly refined tactics for hooking them in the mouth, even though they're not technically biting. Um, And that is really a foreign concept for a lot of people. I mean, even for myself, I've tried flossing uh, pink salmon on the North Shore in Minnesota with minimal luck. I'm familiar with how to do it. Um, I've felt fish before, but, you know, it doesn't always work out. And so I I point that out to say that absolutely we we hired a guide while we were on the Kenai River, Uh, Andrew Chadwick, who's a uh, Minnesota-based guide, fishing guide. And he, he also, um, he also guides up there, uh, with, uh, with a, with a friend of his, uh, Aaron, Aaron Gurlovich, uh, and the the two of them have been at it for a little while and they've gotten pretty good on, on the Kenai river. They're, they're able to take you out in a boat to different spots because what you'll notice when you leave Anchorage, uh, going to the Kenai where a lot of folks go is, uh, migration of people that are leaving the airport that are going on the alaskan highway the sterling highway out to that Kenai peninsula to fish sockeye uh or or silvers later in the year and they you know that's where you see these photos of combat fishing guys elbow to elbow that are fishing the same stretch that they can wade in on one of the advantages of hiring that guide is he knows the river he knows the fish holding spots he can get you away from the other people And anyone that's read rivers or spent time on rivers knows that certain areas are more productive than others. Yeah, the fish are moving up continuously, but just think of how those, how those, it's also important to understand what you're chasing, right? Like all of us do, we're going to spend time studying our quarry. Well, these salmon are making moves. You tend to get a pulse of fish that come through, uh, and then they'll they'll move upstream a ways, and obviously they can't. Physiologically, they can't swim nonstop. They have to take little breaks. So then they swing over into little holding areas where the where the river isn't you know going as strong. They might get behind some rocks or a a, a sand a, a gravel bar or an island, and they'll hang there for a little bit. They may hang there overnight till the next time the sun rises, and then they'll charge up another couple miles. And you can actually look at the progression of the timing of the run. Alaska Department of Fish and Game will put out their data from their sonar counters so show me the data so trans- yeah show me the data they, they they share that information of how many fish our transducers are counting daily how many fresh fish are coming into the river wherever that transducer location is and you can kind of see holy cow we got a big spike of fresh fish in today it's going to be good or well it hasn't really peaked yet or well we're still kind of waiting like you can you can kind of see that, and over time, you know, they, you can look back at the historical data and figure out what the timing of the run typically is. All of that is to say that, you know, those guides are going to give you a leg up on where, where are those hiding places. Can you get away from the combat fishermen? There's definite value in, in hiring a guide. I mean, that's a Captain Obvious statement, right? Like, got, you're basically you're not paying that person for, you know, baiting your hook or doing the things that you know how to do or tying a polymer knot or whatever it is. You're hiring that guy because of the knowledge they have of being on that river day in and day out. And they're dang good at what they do.
0: Now, I want you to touch on one thing. Uh, a, a second ago, you mentioned uh, the the style of fishing that you were using called flossing. And, uh, uh, you know, you, you kind of touched on that, that, that that fish is not actually uh, biting your bait uh, like normal to eat it. But uh, can you dive into that flossing, what that exactly is, and, uh, um, you know, I guess how how that exactly works?
2: Sure. So this was really great. Again, uh, Andrew Chadwick was the guide. He's taking us to places we can hop out in our waders, and we've got a—actually uh, a, had a bait casting reel with real heavy-duty, monofilament line uh a snag-proof sinker—that's just like the name that the locals call it—is basically just like a cannonball with a, you know, a clip on the top, and then you're attaching that to a swivel, and then there's a long leader, about one rod length, basically, maybe a little bit longer than that. We'll call it seven or eight foot, uh, and then there is a uh, a hook on the end of that, and I think I think there are certain stretches of rivers that Alaska Department of Fishing Game actually regulates that hook gap. For how wide it can be, uh, but I don't think that's in the keen eye. I could be wrong, but uh, at any rate, I, I didn't see anything about hook gap. Uh, but other place, I think the Russian might be one place where they where they monitor that gap. Anyways, you uh, you have that hook on there, and you're basically taking your arm and you're you're casting from the two o'clock position, drifting downstream to the to the ten o'clock position, picking up and dropping it back down so if you listen to a person that's doing this you've got the ambient noise of the river running and you hear kerplunk a thousand one a thousand two a thousand three a thousand four then you're kind of sweeping that rod back picking it up and dropping it again kerplunk and you're doing that over and over and what you're doing is that line is following that weight it's settling into the current it's basically pivoting off that point as that weight gently tumbles down the river and you have an effective arm, I'll call it, where that line, when you draw it tight, is going to run through the jaws of that sockeye salmon and catch the mouth of that salmon. Then you hook that salmon and, and bring it on and we, we got into a bunch of sockeye, we got some pinks that way, we did hook a couple kings, although you can't keep those kings on the kenai Uh, so that's what you're doing with sockeye and the thing is you know that is the tastiest fish some would argue for for salmon when those when the first run of sockeye are coming in and there's you know there's commercial fishery for them too and they're being flown out to you know the Seattle fish market there's people paying $100-$150 a pound for it like sockeye is amazing it's that bright orange you know Real flashy, beautiful fillet that you see at the grocery store, and now you're out there catching it on your own. But again, you're flossing these fish, so that that is definitely one thing that takes some getting used to.
0: Yeah, I I mean, not yeah. not not mm-hmm. what I expected at all. I figured you know you were, I guess I don't know. I figured you were fly fishing for him Like I didn't know.
2: Well, we did. So we did some uh, do-it-yourself. Uh, Sockeye fishing with fly rods, but we're again flossing these fish. It's the same idea. We're putting on bead patterns. Um, I've got a story coming out in the St. Cloud Times pretty soon that's kind of hitting on some of these topics about what's the gear that you have to pack and what are all the things that you need to check out and you know how much planning you need to do. I know I I, I talked about Gunner Peterson's book. I'll mention it here with you guys. Gunnar Peterson wrote this book 30 years ago. Uh, Guide to the Alaskan you know, Fishing the Alaskan Highway, something to that effect. I forget the exact title, uh, but it's got the whole highway system on there where all the streams and lakes are that are near that road, near those roads that you can fish, how to fish these different fish species. That's a good guidebook for finding places that you can put on your GPS or your phone mapping app so you can stop along the way and try for different things. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's the song and dance with, with sockeye, but not every fish – are you going to be flossing? You know, when we fish silvers, silvers bite the hook very well. The Chinooks kind of do the same thing. It's with them. They're not looking for a meal, but it's more an aggressive response to eggs. Like everybody that's fishing on um, those Kings are usually putting egg patterns out. So they're literally curing eggs from female King or silver salmon, uh, and holding on to those, you know, to use them later in the year, uh, for, for the second run or the late run of kings, you're putting in a in a mesh in a mesh bag. You may have seen these for sale at sporting goods stores in the Midwest. The cured eggs, uh, but those don't hold a candle to the real ones that the resident Alaskans make. And you know our guides that took us out uh, on the Clutina that I mentioned earlier for king salmon. That's what we were using there. And I'll just I'll briefly touch on that setup since I'm bringing it up. Uh, again, we used a guide there, Copper River guides. I totally would endorse using those folks. And again, it's it's even if I like if I went out to the Kenai River and I wanted to do it myself, absolutely I could have caught a few uh, sockeye. But you know, I would have been doing the combat fishing, and it was just more enjoyable to be with a guide and and who who really knows the song and dance on 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 how to do the flossing thing. The the, the, the hiring the guide on the copper and the Clutina is about access. You could buy a trespass. Uh, permit from the First Nations uh, which are the, the indigenous uh, Native Americans that are, were in that area that own the land uh, adjacent to this river you could purchase a trespass permit and try to hike your way in but if you tried to look at the relief of this area we're talking about rivers that are entombed between you know huge not huge moderate-sized mountains canyons you know, these rivers are, are moving side to side, and they're they're banging up against a three or 400-foot-tall cliff face that's eroding rock, and they're running fast. I think I heard a quote of, like, 22-mile-an-hour flows with whitewater rapids. So if I showed up there, paid a trespass fee, and tried to carry a canoe in, I could try to go down river in a canoe, and I could kill myself. I mean, there are whitewater rapids, and people kill themselves trying to do it. Everyone that's on that system is using a jet-powered motor boat or they are using a raft. And in our case, we were hiring a guide on a raft, drifting downstream, working our way carefully through whitewater areas, and then tucking in to fish-holding locations where actually as a person that fishes the river, it was kind of fascinating. It's like, you know, this is a kind of spot back home that I would be looking to fish for a walleye seam or you know, a spot where a flathead catfish would would kind of be sitting in the slack water, uh, or as they called it, the frog water. Uh, That's what we were looking at. We were looking at these deep holes that were adjacent to runs, current seams, uh, frog water, as those guys called it, just different places that we expected those king salmon to be holding on their upstream movements. And if we could drift a spawn sack in front of their face, chances were pretty good we could get one to pick it up and, and bite. And that's what we did. You know, we had slinky weights on to a leader uh, with a couple of floating balls back to a spawn sack and that that leader helped us keep in constant contact with the bottom of the river and know where our bait was and then if you felt any sort of tap or anything unusual you set the hook because you were either snagged or you had a
1: giant of a king salmon taking that spawn sack and how how much did those things fight all right, so we had those on spinning gear
2: with like 180 or 100 pound braid. And to give you an idea, the guides would crank down the drag so that you couldn't grab, grab the line, you know, right above the reel to pull off some line. It was so hard, you had to open the bail to, put it to, to take any line off. That's how tightened down the drag was. You'd set the hook on these things and they had so much power, They'd go screaming up or downstream with no regard for how tight that drag was. So you'd have to sit there and palm the drag to add additional drag to it to stop them, especially if they were heading downstream and had the force of the current in their favor. So just a really powerful fish, uh, you know, really impressive the the amount of power they had. But, um, you know, sometimes they'd give you a, a 10 minute fight but a lot of times it,
1: it'd be two to five minutes uh, so pretty similar to a bass <laughs> <laughs> uh, No comment. <laughs> nice, nice shot i like that i like that a lot
0: now scott uh where, where did you fly into uh and and what are the options of places to fly into and then i guess on top of that after you're there uh, I mean, were you tenting it? Were you hoteling it? Were you bed and breakfasting it? What were you doing?
2: Sure. So we flew into Anchorage on this trip. Uh, I mean, you have some other options. I believe you can fly into to Fairbanks. And, uh, you know, you have a few a few other options out there. But that highway system, for the most part, is, you know, on either side of Anchorage. Um <clears throat> and again you can you can hop on smaller planes that's what a lot of folks do they hop on smaller planes to go to other coastal towns or to head further inland depending on if you're fishing or you're hunting i mean i got on the plane and there was a guy going out to scout for a doll sheep hunt and another guy that was getting ready for a caribou hunt i mean their hunting seasons out there are just starting to fire up i i talked to a guy at the state fair today well I, i talked to Uh, Travis Frank, that is one of the hosts of the Flush television show, Uh, they are starting their filming schedule. He's flying out next week to Alaska for a ptarmigan hunt. So those seasons are opening up. But you have some options. You can fly into some different places. There's a lot of local bush pilot services, small planes, um, you know, single engines, float planes, you name it. Uh, But, you know, if you want to cut your teeth on it, this is a really kind of a way to go is get into Anchorage. Uh, a lot of folks rent RVs. I know uh, the, the, there were five of us in, 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 in the party that I joined up with and the roots of, of our party go back 15 years. Uh, I, I worked at Lake Superior uh, in an internship out on Lake Superior with the Department of Natural Resources by day and then at night I, I waited tables and tended bar at a restaurant, Grand Superior Lodge in Castle Danger and I'm I ended up, uh, you know, being a part of what was kind of a murderer's row of, of, of fishermen. Uh, we had, we had Brian Porter, who's a fishing guide. Now we had Kent Paulson and Jordan Korzanowski who are a couple of charter boat captains. Tom Linderholm is a charter boat captain. Nate McVeigh is, uh, he's still in the food and beverage industry, but he hunts and fishes like crazy. Um, I, I'm probably
0: forgetting people, but we had a ton of guys that, that loved to hunt and fish. So, so you were definitely it, the weakest link in that I crew. Was yeah, I was the weakest link. Yeah, I picked probably. up what you were putting down there.
2: Yeah, well, we've, we, uh, we've stayed in touch. We've, we've fished off and on and, you know, are able to, to kind of check in. And we can't get together like we used to because our lives are in different directions and we're spread around the state a little bit. But um, talk about some top, top-notch guys. And, uh, you know, Jordan and Kent had, had been to Alaska a few times. Uh, you know Jordan multiple times, and you know I had inquired about doing this trip for for a number of years. It was kind of always like, well, I should save up some more money, or geez, do I have enough vacation time? Or, you know, it was it was a lot of different things going on. We finally were able to get the stars to align, and you know Kent was going to come along with us, and I, I talked to him last fall, and he said, now you can't tell anyone because my wife will kill me if she found out that you know I, I told this to you, but we're expecting they they had a baby on the way so he couldn't make it about a month before we left uh, she was due and they they did deliver so um, it's you never know you know life keeps going and there's always going to be those wrinkles you know when we planned the trip gas was two dollars and some odd cents and then when we're out there gas in Alaska was five dollars and fifty cents a gallon and the, the plan, uh, the five, the the five of us that went. I meant to touch on this. I kind of moved away from it. Was Jordan Korzanowski, who I mentioned, our our friendship dating back 15 years. Uh, Adam Montavitis, who's uh, a first mate on on a charter boat up in up in Duluth. Uh, Matt Massey, who runs Five Star Hooker, the uh, charter boat up there, and then myself and Joe Bowers. And uh, uh, Joe and I go back a, a number of years hunting and fishing as well. And Joe was. Joe's a school teacher, so he's got the summer off. There's actually a lot of fishing guys up there that are school teachers that have their summers off up in Alaska, or spend their spend their summer up in Alaska. But Joe was going to drive out, and then when gas got so ridiculously expensive, we kind of had to audible. We ended up renting renting a vehicle through the Toro app, uh, and then kind of tenting it. So luckily, uh, my my Boundary Waters tenting experience uh, sort of translated to what we were doing on on the road and and going into to campgrounds.
1: cool
0: now you know with Tentinet, were uh were you ever worried about safety at all like uh um obviously you're you know it's one thing to be in black bear country but you're in grizzly bear country and they'll freaking kill you just to say they did it but uh um you know i mean bear spray a sidearm uh you know what what's the what's the protocol
2: sure so you're you're 100 right there's black bear and there's brown bear uh so where we stay, we stayed in the city campground in Saldotna. You're in a pretty urban area there. Uh, it's not to say that there aren't bears, but there, there actually aren't a lot of bears that, that fish on the Kenai because it's so big. Uh, well, no, I shouldn't say that. There are bears. I, I'm thinking of the Copper and the Clutina. That's so big and so strong a flow that there's not a ton of bears there. Uh, but, yeah, back to the Kenai, there's, there's some bear around there, but, you know, I guess it's kind of like, the herd of, uh, of zebras, you know, we were one of many in the camp, so I wasn't too worried, <laughs> and we were in an urban area. Um, we, we stayed there. We also stayed in Copper Center at, at kind of where the guides stayed and, and made made peace there, uh, and then we stayed in Valdez and and, and all the places, and we actually, went, Joe and I camped out remotely on a lake north of No, That was probably the most risky place, but even that, it's like, you just got to be smart, right? You got you to gotta put your food... You know, away from camp, you got to be careful how you cook. You just got to be thoughtful about all that. And, that, you know, you're right. Some, some form of protection, but I can't fly bear spray. Uh, and then you have to be, you know, you really want to be careful. You check your firearms. Joe, Joe, who lived and taught in Alaska for a little while was more familiar with that. And he did pack his 454, uh, which we made use of. Um, I did write, I'm slowly releasing stories from this trip. But I did have a story out um, yesterday, or well, a couple days ago, Sunday, uh, about our do-it-yourself bushwhack trip uh, on a river system where we went after the early run of Silver Salmon. And uh, we ran into some bear tracks, and we did run into, uh, uh, we never ran into any bear, but a couple of the guys started yelling my name when I started getting upstream of them because they heard something moving on shore, so... You got to be smart. And that goes for myself. Of course, as an angler, you want to always push into new water on a river system, but you also don't want to get too far of ahead of your buddies. It ended up biting me in the butt anyways, because those guys had the landing net and I hooked, uh, I hooked what I think, well, what I'm, it was, a it was a silver. I ended up losing it. It, it probably wouldn't have been the biggest one we
0: caught, but, you know, they get bigger when they get away, right?
2: That's right. <laughs> I was going
1: to say, that's starting to be a ramrod story right there. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> just, just like that bear in the bushes was a little bit bigger than what it really was. Freaking raccoon. Exactly.
2: I mean, the <laughs> yeah. had signs up about problem bears and watch out and be careful and don't throw trash in the, in the cans at, you know, after 7 o'clock. All these municipalities have bear-proof garbage containers or, you know, Airproof Proof is
0: kind of wink, wink, nod, nod. I'm not <laughs> sure they're... Comp- they're not probably keeping Yogi out, but they are pretty heavy-duty. Okay. Um, and, and I guess uh, just to touch on one last thing, uh, you know, I mean, somebody that is going to go... I mean, what what do you feel are necessities? I mean, what would you bring up for rods and reels? I mean, I'm assuming waders, uh, you know, a rain suit, uh, you know, I guess you know just just a quick rundown i'm sure that i mean you know there, there's probably 80 things but uh, you know the things that uh, maybe somebody wouldn't wouldn't think of right off the top of their head
2: Yeah, and, and so we you know i've i've told you a couple of the legs of the journey i talked about uh the kenai and the sockeye i talked about the copper and the clutina for kings i did briefly mention that bushwhack to get get after some silver salmon and then the final leg in Valdez was, you know, going out on a charter boat where you're really at the risk of what the weather's gonna do. You know, uh, Jordan who's made the trip has actually had trips cancelled. Other friends of mine that were in Alaska have had trips cancelled. You're at the mercy of what the weather does and how wavy it is. And, and it can look great on shore, but it can be completely different out in Prince William Sound, so you know, you just never really know with that one, but, you know, we lucked out a little bit. We got out, you know, Jordan caught a real nice fish in the 80-pound class for a halibut. Uh, we, we got into a pretty good action before the wind really kicked up. I got into some rockfish as well, and that's always a wild card. But it all comes to answer your question, it all kind of comes down to planning. Like, what are the species you're chasing? Where are you going to be? What are the logistics? Logistics was a huge thing. Like, we'd have a four, five, six-hour drive, and I think about doing that in Minnesota to go from southern Minnesota to northern Minnesota, and how that takes up the good part of a day when you when you stop to grab something to eat, or, you know, I stopped several times because it's so doggone beautiful, taking pictures of glaciers and mountains and wild rivers and, you know, uh, moose on the side of the road and stuff like that, I mean, you want to plan that time, and if you just go, 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 you can, you can get chewed up and burnt up, but... You know, there's a lot of necessities, whether you're going with a guide or you're doing it yourself. The weather out there, it's a maritime climate, it's a very wet climate. You're going to want good, packable rain gear. If you're bringing your own stuff out, you know, are you carrying on to the plane? What are the limits for the airplane? Uh, Are you, how many rods are you taking? I packed five rods and six reels, and all of my, those five rods were all four piece sectionals spinning, bait casting, and three sets of fly rods. Um, you know, quick dry clothing, layered clothing. We had days in Soldatna where we were blessed with the weather. It was 75 degrees and sunny, and I'm wearing shorts and a T-shirt. And then you're showing up in Valdez, and it's down to 40 degrees, and it's spitting and mist and, and rain the whole time. So you really get a lot of variable weather, which I guess as a Midwesterner is somewhat familiar, but you got to pack for that. Um, if you're playing your own catch, you want to have knives, you want to, uh, you're going to stop and pick up fish boxes or coolers. That's the other logistical, uh, hoop to jump through. You want to go out there and, you know, experience the bounty of this wonderful wild place, you know, sack up some sockeye. You can keep, you know, where we were on the Kenai, we could keep six a day with a possession limit of 12. We could take one king apiece. We could take one silver apiece. We could take... One halibut below 28 inches and one above. I mean, there's all this fish that starts to add up. And you, we're paying to vacuum seal it. We're paying to put it in and spend the night in a in a in a freezer somewhere, and then you're picking it up and it's off to the next destination. And then you've got the logistics of when does the when does the fish processor open and close? Uh, what's our travel plan going to be? And then ultimately. How much does all my fish weigh? Can I get it on a box and get it on an airplane? Because if I overnight it back home, it's two hundred fifty to three hundred dollars. If I check an extra bag with the airport or with the air, with the uh, you know, with the uh, you know, whatever your carrier is for your airfare, it's probably another forty or fifty bucks. And that's what it was. Um, so luckily for me, we 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 really lucked out with that. We were able to kind of get in and out and move our fish fish around, and I. I ended up having to give away uh, one and a half of my sockeye, but pretty much everything else I was able to fly home while being underneath 50-pound capacity.
0: Right on, right on. Um, so so I guess overall, I mean, I think we've kind of touched on uh, most of the things Matt and I had written down uh I guess, do you have anything else that we kind of overlooked, or did, do you think we pretty much got most of the information uh, you have to to put out there that, that uh, we can fit in, in a podcast? Did we get yeah, that out yeah. there?
2: I, I do. You know, just enjoy the experience, even the planning. I remember a coworker used to talk about the fun part of any trip was the anticipation, and then on the backside of the trip it was the memories that you made. And I, I hope people can look at this the same way. You know, it is a bucket list trip. It's a once in a lifetime thing that I, you know, hope is is more frequent than that. It's a beautiful place. It's, it's something that's so different. I mean, we have Pacific salmon that have been introduced to the Great Lakes, they just, they don't hold a candle to the real thing. To be out there in a stream, you know, salmon banging off the sides of your waders, you know, while you're wading a stream, doing it yourself, the joy that comes with that. We're hiring a guide, and the experience that these guys bring, and the funny stories they can tell you, and like, they have the same passion to be out there as you do. You know, there there were there were on the on the copper in the Clutina, there were guides that had a day off. That their king season is so, so short; it's a matter of days and and just a handful of weeks. That when they had a day off, they were still getting up with us at one in the morning to go out and do it again, because they had to wait. You know. 48 49 more weeks to do it they have as much passion to get out and do it you know whether it's the diy guy resident that lives in alaska or it's the guy that goes out there for his summer or it's the tourist that goes out and does it and just wants to say they caught a wild pacific salmon like everybody's got that passion and then you know for for folks that identify with angling and and really get fired up to do it like this is your place these are your people it's all about the fishing. The culture is about the fishing. The place is beautiful. Like, do this as, as, as soon as you can. It's a domestic travel opportunity that is out of this world good. I mean, there's people from all kinds of different countries that are out
0: there to do it. Take advantage of it as a United States citizen. Yeah, Definitely, Absolutely. Yeah. Now, uh, Scott, there was one more thing uh, um, after this uh, that, that we kind of wanted to talk to you about Uh before we gave you a call, Matt and I were sitting here talking, and uh, he had said, uh, why don't we talk to Scott a little bit about fall turnover? You know, you see a lot of people talking about fall turnover, uh, you know, the lakes around here. Uh, tell us exactly what fall turnover is, and uh, is there is there a temperature that that normally happens at? What, what's, the scientific, what's the science behind the fall turnover?
2: Sure, right on. So, yeah, another few weeks, you know, depending on where you are, you're going to get to that point where fall turnover is going to happen. And it, it, it basically is kind of this intersection of physics and chemistry. You know, our lakes are stratified. Uh, they are uh, they're monomyctic for the most part, meaning they mix once. And they, they become stratified in the summer months i mean they there's a mild amount of stratification there's temperature differences and layering in the winter but uh really it's just that that warm water summer open water period that uh you know summer has the biggest differences that upper layer the epilimnian that is your warm water in the summer months it's the hottest temperature water but it has the most oxygen. Then you reach the metalimnion, or the middle, also called the thermocline, where it rapidly changes. Uh, a lot of times, it, we we pay attention to where that metalimnion is when we're doing surveys on lakes. Uh, again, this in, in my day job with with a with a natural resource management agency, we're looking at where is that metalimnion? Where does the oxygen drop out? At what depth? So that we know we can set a net from that point. Uh, and, and higher in the water column and still successfully catch fish. Once you drop into the hypolimium, that bottommost layer, that is cold water that is low on oxygen. And what you end up seeing happen is we're, you know, days are getting shorter. Dog days of summer are starting to pass. The nights are cooling up. You, know, you guys talk about it. Hoodie, hoodie weather is coming. It's a little chilly at night. Temperatures are dropping. They're going to continue to do that into September. Uh, and into October in places, and in these lakes that set up and stratify, that cold air is meeting the surface of the water, it's chilling that water, and as that water cools off, there's there's actually a point where water becomes more dense as it cools off and it starts to sink, and it punches through the metalimnion down into the hypolimnion. And we also get these days in the fall where the wind swells come up, right? I think about being a waterfall hunter and, you know, watching, watching what the wind is doing. And sometimes we get these big blows that come in in the fall, right? And that can speed up the process. So you've got this cool water starting to seep down, punch through the metalimnion, punch down into the hypolimnion and mix up, and you've got this wave action that's doing the same thing, kind of creating some movement, and that's enough to kind of jostle everything. It's kind of, you know, if you can model this thing and imagine what it looks like, it's starting to break apart, and as that happens, eventually at some point, enough water goes down, pushes that hypolimnion, that hypolimnion cold water comes up, and then you get that, that whole cycle engaged, basically, where the lake does turn over. How do you know that the lake is turned over? Well, uh, if you take a, the the dummy explanation, if you take a vertical profile, in other words, if you look at temperature and dissolved oxygen, it's gonna be the same from top to bottom. And you get some of that, uh, you get that, uh, you're gonna see those as exactly the same. Now, not everyone has has a probe, to be able to do that, you know, to look at what that oxygen and 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 uh, temperature look like. Instead, a lot of times, what you'll see is the water is going to cloud up a little bit uh, because that bottom bottom layer gets shoved up. It might stir up kind of some some nutrients off the bottom, or maybe there's some some plankton, phytoplankton or planktonic algae that died off and settled on the bottom. It kind of gets put back into suspension, and you kind of see that quality junk in the water that's usually a sign that your lake has turned over um what else to mention so you know i did say like we're, we're talking about monomyctic lakes that they're they're mixing once i mean it sort of depends i mean like i'm i set a preface it by saying you know there is that stratification in the winter too like your water ranges from 32 to roughly 39 39 is like that that most dense uh, layer where you're, you're that that's the water that sinks down to the very bottom so if you look at that vertical profile in the winter it's like 39 flirting with 40 on the bottom that's 32 33 up near the ice but technically they do it does count as a, as a layering so actually a lot of those lakes that do set up that way um they will count that as a second uh a second a second mixing so then they actually become dimictic, but i know that's a lot of uh a lot of gobbledygook, but hopefully that made sense. About it, just sort of takes either a weather push or some wind to kind of push things around and and break that seal on the Medellinian or it takes uh, that cool air. So some years, if the wind doesn't blow, you might have that lake set up and stratified through the end of September into October. Other years, uh, if it's real windy, it may break it earlier. I know. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was a little bit surprised that by the middle of September, we actually had lakes that turned over and I think it was a combination of cold nights and good wind blows. So, uh, I know some folks look forward to that. It it kind of opens up things for, for the fish. You know, they, they have to go where the oxygen is available. They can't go to areas where there's not enough oxygen. Once fall turnover happens, the whole lake has the same kind of temperature and oxygen levels. Then they can kind of go wherever, and if they have favorite areas to hang out, or they know that, you know, on an on a level playing field with everything being equal, they know if they're, you know, the bait fish or the prey are going to go to one area, um, they can be a little e- more easily targeted. So some some anglers really like it, some don't because it sort of can shut things down when that big change happens. But that's that's fall turnover overly explained. So
1: so so just to be clear, so Scott isn't confused. It's not a pumpkin flavored pastry at a bakery up God, in New Damn Prague, it, right? Damn it. <laughs> That's not what a fall turnover it, is. It 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 probably is, you know, for,
2: for Scott who's on the on the Bakery Pro staff. Yeah. Mm, <laughs> mm, 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 mm,
1: mm.
2: And the ice cream team. Yeah. yeah. You started
0: <laughs> talking about water there for the last ten minutes and I was like, Whoa, I think he misunderstood my question. <laughs> I was I was looking for the pastry. <laughs> nope. Well Scott uh if we were going to have you on we needed a little bit of science and uh um that that was it. So uh um you know once again we appreciate having you on. Uh you know it it was a it was a down week and we were you know we needed a guest and you know we we were scraping the bottom of the barrel and you came up.
2: Well, ab- absolutely. I mean I'm still second or third best uh biologist has been on this program i did figure something out here though scott okay that is you know you keep telling everybody that i'm from minneapolis and i've started to figure out because you and i went to pro day together we were 30 miles away in Shakopee, you know helping the guy with the with the uh with the with the car engine trouble and you thought you were still in minneapolis i think what we i started to figure out you think that the seven-county suburban area and metro area
1: is all Minneapolis, so no wonder you think I live in Minneapolis. I think anything past Mankato is considered <laughs> Minneapolis. You're
2: in the metro area. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, Minneapolis, blah, 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 whatever, whatever, it's all the same. <laughs> That's right.
0: Yeah, you, you, you can call it what you want, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, uh coon rapids and and rogers and whatnot that's all minneapolis it's just different neighborhoods of minneapolis (laughs) sure it is like if you've never if you never actually leave the city like if you never actually go through uh you know a bunch of cornfields it's still the same city Uh, you know you you can you can call it whatever you want but uh people that actually understand how geography works that's all still the same city (laughs) You're good at you're good at you know fisheries. You're good at natural resources. You're not good at at figuring out what cities are. So, hey, everyone's got to be good at something. This is this is true. I I never knew that I
2: I was such good friends with a G, with a geography major. Well, yep. Yeah.
0: Now you do. Now you do. So, all right, Scott. Uh, we appreciate you being on, and uh, look forward to having you on again.
2: Sounds good. Thanks, fellas. You bet. Thanks. See ya.
0: And that was our good buddy from Minneapolis, uh, Scott uh, uh One thing about it, when you get him on, you're you're gonna you're gonna get the scientific yep. answers. You're gonna uh, learn today. Yep, yep. And <laughs> he, he's one of those v- the very few people that uh, can mix some real knowledge and and still be pretty
1: freaking funny. You know? Oh, definitely. I mean, easy to listen to. Sometimes the words might go above your head, but he always seems to wrap it around for even even guys like us to understand it a yep, little bit yep. there. he can dumb it down is what matt's trying to say <laughs> exactly right so uh and i appreciate that about him yep yep i
0: don't appreciate much about him but uh you know he he does know where there's a good bakery and uh he, he can, can dumb,
1: dumb things down and so he can change a light bulb without a ladder i mean yep. that's all three things i mean what other? those
0: three things right there are what else you really need
1: in life. <laughs> right so uh um,
0: nope. Uh, Scott, uh, you know, when we when we originally had talked to Scott, we had said, ah, I don't know, what do you think? You know, probably go about 30 minutes. And, uh, we, we probably should have known better. Uh, one thing about him, uh, uh, he, he, he's, he's going to tell you exactly what, what the answer is. There's no, there's no short version. But, uh, I think he shed a lot of information on, on, uh, um, you know, on, on an Alaskan trip, if there is somebody out there that's thinking about doing that, um, you know, the whole, uh, uh fall turnover deal, there's a lot of science behind that. And yeah, I'll, I'll be definitely. honest, I'm, I'm, I'm going to flat out, be honest with you. I had no clue that that even happened. Oh yeah. You know, you, Matt, Matt kind of brought it up earlier and it was like, oh, I guess, you know, whatever. <laughs> so I quit do
1: a little Google search and it's like, oh yeah. Okay. Well, you just hear a lot of people talking about it this yep. time of year. And yep. I mean, you know, there's some false informations out there, and, you know, there's some pretty informative stuff. So yep. it's kind of nice to hear it for some somebody that kind of works with it.
0: Yep, no doubt about it. Um, but moving along, uh, we've got our good news story of the week brought to you by our good buddies over at Freedom Brew in Larchwood, Iowa. Um, our buddies Austin, his wife Brianna, uh, head up Freedom Brew. they got a bunch of other gals that are working in there. Uh, peddling the best coffee in the tri-state area possibly the country and they're voting uh you know,
1: they're, they're in the world competition and and I, I think they're receiving votes oh from us they're definitely receiving yeah, votes yeah, exactly and i, I, I want to know like like what do you think is the best time of year for like coffee like do you think that Ooh, we're getting into yeah. fall and fall is kind of like like yeah, false coffee, coffee weather, like yep. the coffee drinker season. Like if there yep. was a coffee drinker season, it's like yeah. Yeah, I
0: saw Brianna started putting up that she was starting to do the pumpkin spice stuff. stuff right. Uh, yeah. uh,
1: you know this this last week, and well, so you can get into like they they got that bomb that apple cider that they make. Oh that yeah, stuff is oh yeah. Like, yeah. Awesome. You know,
0: and and that's not something that you want in July,
1: right? You know that's a
0: that's a that. Yeah, you're right, 100. percent You know, I think people, I think people miss it all summer long. Yeah, and and then all of a sudden it's like, ooh, you know, the 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 first time that it doesn't hit 80 degrees, it's like, <laughs> it's freaking ball. Like, give me that, give me a hot drink. Like, oh man, it's getting cold. Like, I pump the brakes. Like, <laughs> it's going to be literally 100 degrees colder three and a half months from now. So right. just 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 keep that in mind. So, uh, but uh, no, I. I, I I'm really liking the icy drinks, but uh, yeah. I am kind of looking forward. Uh, I'm kind of looking forward to uh, you know they got the Freedom Brew, and I've been getting it uh, you know blended. But I'm kind of looking forward. I, I believe that they also offer that in a hot drink. So uh, you something know. that warms the soul. Yeah, that's right. When when you drink it, it's like woo baby, go. woo baby. Freedom Brew yep. warms the soul. Yeah, that's, <laughs> put that on the next T-shirt. That's right. <laughs> warms the soul, and and I I want them to quote you underneath it. Warms the soul. Matt Deich, Midwest Angler Podcast. Non coffee drinker. Yeah, non coffee drinker. That's right. I do enjoy some. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. But uh, my mom was actually over there today. Oh yeah. Sent me a Snapchat trying to rub it in my rub- face. And it I, in. I thought she was on her way from Sioux Falls, on her way to Sioux Falls. Then she turns around and tells me, like I, I end up seeing her at work like twenty minutes later. She's like, Oh yeah, I was on my way back from Sioux Falls. Could have brought you some. I'm like, Mom, you're the plug. Like what the f- <laughs> what happened there? So uh I don't know, you know, I mean I'll probably I'll probably hold it against her until about Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, nope. Uh, with that, uh, we're going to move into the good news stories of the week. Um, you know, I, I, I want to give a good news story out, uh, you know, to, uh, to football coming around central lion, uh, uh got their first win of the year. That's central uh, Lion George Little Rock, central Lion George Little Rock. Yes. That is our local, uh, combined school, uh, with, uh, with the next school district over to the East. Um, you know, college football is back and uh, you know, a part of me really wanted to talk about Nebraska, but uh I, I'm honestly at a point now where I'm gonna talk about Nebraska football right here, right now. But uh I don't know that I'm ever I'm I'm not gonna talk about Nebraska football again. I'm I'm to the point where like two years ago I would have text
1: Zach Cox yep, right. and, and been like, you know, whoo like I'm almost to the point where I'm feeling bad for them now. Oh, I know. It's To the like, point now where it's like you really don't want to talk trash or anything like that because if they do happen to beat like the Hawkeyes, then you'd feel kind of like super embarrassed that you, you lost. No, that ain't them. where I'm at. Like okay. I'm, I'm at like. You just feel bad for the Nebraska people like. Like this was the dude. This was well, the savior. This, this was, yeah, I know. I mean, this it was, was, it was the second coming of the, the Messiah. Like, they were supposed to be filling that trophy, that trophy case up with national titles, and it's just, yeah yeah I, I i get where you're going yeah with that. we're not like we're was, not gonna go into it any no, farther than that no. because
0: uh we've got some good buddies from nebraska yeah and uh you know like i i don't know if it's my mule deer hunting or what it is, but like i actually like i'm kind of turning the corner with Nebraska like you know it's like ah, i could i i used to like i i would have literally gone for the taliban over Alaska, or over nebraska <laughs> Jeez, that's a pretty good stretch there. I'm, I'm telling you but uh like now it's like you know as long as they're not playing iowa like i'll go for them like you know nebraska's cornfields and, and sand hills, and you know like i I can be for nebraska right yeah but uh, uh you know besides omaha but uh um you know yeah i don't know it's uh it's a bad deal. So uh, I guess my good news story. Then uh, my actual good news story. God dang it! I just had one right here. You you go ahead. I'm I'm circling back to it.
1: All right. I'm just gonna give you know a shout out to one of our former guests and an avid dirt bag, avid listener, uh, Josh Strand is the dirt bag. He got married this weekend, and so did Matt Waldron. So you know, congratulations to those guys. Uh, welcome to the club now you guys are no better than the rest of us yep. sorry bastards
0: <laughs> they don't actually uh, maybe they do know each other but uh, with wedding prices getting so high they actually on the clam pro page they just message each other and was like hey you guys want to split a venue we <laughs> <Like,
2: laughs> the just got it. married
0: on two opposite sides It's like hey what wedding are you here for you know that that's how when that's you walk not a in,
2: bad, that's
1: not a bad idea maybe if you got like a bunch of the same mutual friends you guys can just have like all of them be like joint groomsmen and bridesmaids and stuff like that can you imagine like having
0: uh having one bride and groom up on the left side of the (laughs) the the church and one bride and groom up on the right side of the church and so when you walk in it's not like oh do you want the bride or the bride or the groom side like (laughs) no we're here for the strand wedding no we're here uh, for the waldron wedding.
1: (laughs) maybe it's like what do they call that a bogo (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah, buy one get one one. hey just as I'm, i'm i'm cool with it as long as there's like two separate cakes so you can say well i gotta have some cake from over here but i also gotta have some cake from this one too so yeah that's right don't be trying to split the cake nope nope that's good
0: um i don't remember what in the heck i was gonna do
1: i don't remember i don't remember one bit well a former guest of ours had a pretty big weekend Mr. J. Jay. Jay Shakurit. Yep,
0: that's right. Uh, one rookie of the year on the Bassmaster Elite Series, um, and the Bassmaster Elite Series officially came to an end today. Uh, we'll talk about that next week uh, with fantasy fishing and whatnot all coming to an end. Uh, just to make sure that uh, that it, it's officially all updated. I know sometimes it can take a couple hours to do it, but uh, we'll talk about that next week. But otherwise, uh, I think. I think we're at a spot where we can easily call this one uh, to an end. And uh, we appreciate you joining this week, and we'll see you again next week.